This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, August 4th, 2021, and I have a couple of very special guests today. I have James Chen of MediaTek here. And David Ruddock is going to be joining us later in the show to go over the news and reviews of the week. James, you're with MediaTek, and you and I want to talk about Wi-Fi today because it turns out it's the unsung hero of the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there, Miriam. Uh, Wi-Fi is the unsung hero. I mean, we use it every day. In fact, I think the Wi-Fi industry is a victim of our own success. You know, when technology becomes so successful and so embedded into so many things and so ubiquitous, we kind of just take it for granted because it's just all around us, right? And it's sustained just by everything that we do, regardless of work, play, or anything in between. So yeah, MediaTek, uh, you know, we're very proud of our Wi-Fi. You know, we've been doing Wi-Fi for close to 20 years, you know, providing Wi-Fi, high-performance Wi-Fi chips in the industry. Uh, as you know, there is a great deal uh, of traffic that flows across Wi-Fi. And Wi-Fi itself is also changing very rapidly. We had like Wi-Fi 6, and then last year, boom, we had Wi-Fi 6E. And uh, you probably heard a little bit about Wi-Fi 7, which is kind of just knocking yeah. around the corner there. So speaking of all this, walk us through a little bit. Like, Let's not do a history lesson, but today Wi-Fi 6 seems to be like the standard, and we're working on Wi-Fi 7. But I believe mm-hmm. most people are pretty much using Wi-Fi 5 at this point. Can you kind of recontextualize this in terms of the old nomenclature, what we used to know as AC and now AX, et cetera? <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, let's pay special attention to the Wi-Fi 6E stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, Wi-Fi 5, that's the new name. Uh, it replaced the a little more of the technical name, which is 802.11ac. Right. And that was the really, I think, the technology or Wi-Fi 5 that kind of broke the gigabit uh, barrier. So that's Wi-Fi 5. That added 5 gigahertz band support, Absolutely. Correct? Okay. Yep, did that too. Added the 5 gigahertz band. And the 5 gigahertz band, just a bit of trivia, actually was started in 802.11a yeah. back in 1999-2000. But it really kind of didn't take off. But, you know, for your trivia buffs, that's when 5 gigahertz was used. But you're right. It took 802.11ac um, almost 15, 16 years later to bring it to the forefront and for everybody to use it. So that was Wi-Fi 5. And then obviously after the, that was Wi-Fi 6. And Wi-Fi 6 is known as, as you said, 802.11ax. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the transition from Wi-Fi 5 to Wi-Fi 6 was not as seamless as the industry wanted because <laughs> when, Wi-Fi 6 claimed the fame was, well, you know, the speed is about the same, but, you know, the networks are just more efficient, ah. you know. And when I said that, I was thinking, well, how am I going to explain that to just, you know, beyond the techies, everybody, even the techies? And uh, because efficiency is something that's hard to quantify versus raw speed. For sure. That was Wi-Fi 6. So, you know, that brought with us some technology called OFDMA. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a mouthful five-letter uh, acronym, um, but OFDMA is a fundamental technology that's also in 4G networks, you know, okay. LTE, for example. So I think one of the things that people didn't know that the two technologies, cellular and Wi-Fi, the underpinnings, what we call the physical level, it's slowly merging. 
And Wi-Fi 6 kind of took that first bold step with that OFDMA technology. That's another trivia question. But that was Wi-Fi 6. You know, Wi-Fi 6 has been the market, I would say, since, you know, I think 2019-ish. Okay. uh, Maybe 2018. But really, 2019 is where we saw the flurry of activity. And then just to bring everybody up to speed until now, now we have Wi-Fi 6E. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Now, it's kind of a weird name, but I guess, you know, we came up with that because we, you know, the technology is still, the underpinnings are still Wi-Fi 6. They did the E to really uh, denote extended, for example, extended spectrum, because Wi-Fi 6E is using the new unlicensed 6 gigahertz that's uh, now legal in many parts of the world. And so there, you know, there's a whole bunch of things we can talk about Wi-Fi 6E, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, I think it's just mostly about making spectrum available in a very, very crowded area, right? Like 2.4 gigahertz, which is the kind of default for Wi-Fi. And then, you know, 5 gigahertz, all these bands, if you look in a high-density population area, is is very congested. Adding a new band makes a lot of sense. So do you have at MediaTek a concept of how broad the adoption's been? I haven't, honestly, other than a few phones here in my home, I don't have any Wi-Fi 6E devices. So I'm curious if you're seeing a good uptake on this or not. Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, it's been a little bit slow, like you said, uh, Miriam. And the reason is, um, well, I think the main reason is it's just regulatory overhang. Right. Now, the United States was first to, the FCC was first to come out. I think it was uh, April of last year, April 23rd, if I'm not mistaken, of 2020 and said, ah, we're going to allow 1.2 gigahertz of spectrum in the 6 gigahertz band for uh, you know any device use. And of course, Wi-Fi picked that up. But since then, you know, there have been countries who have approved it. It's still not war embraced worldwide. I think last month, I think just two weeks ago, Germany was the first country in the European Union to officially legalize uh, Wi-Fi 6E. Mm-hmm. And before that, you know, there were other countries in the, uh, in the UK, the Southern America, there was South Korea. But still, I think it's uh, one part is uh, the, uh, the slow uptick is the regulatory body just hasn't, you know, regulatory right. takes time. I think the other thing is a little bit of, um, you know, I, I think maybe people just don't kind of understand what more spectrum or more interference-free spectrum, like you say, really means, right? Because yeah. to my mom, for example, I would say, hey, I'm going to get you a phone. It's got Wi-Fi 6E and a router that's also Wi-Fi 6E. And she kind of looks at me and says, okay, what will it do for me? I said, well, you know, your neighbor won't interfere with you. Well, she says, well, I don't see my neighbor. <laughs> so it's kind of so so i think it uh you know if you're congested or you have a lot of neighbors sure uh, that will happen but again it's hard to market a negative right something for interference so uh, but but it'll be there that actually kind of segues us nicely towards wi-fi 7 you know in mediatek's leadership in wi-fi i think that let's talk a little bit about where we're going with wi-fi 7 even though you're Mom can't see the neighbors, as you said. So it's going to be another <laughs> hard sell for her for seven and for others, right? You know, I think MediaTek is in a position to really democratize Wi-Fi 6E and 7 going forward because you provide most of the chipsets out there for devices that are used today. All the mm-hmm. smart speakers and the set-top boxes and the TV streamers that everybody's using today mostly have MediaTek chips in them. Uh, system level chips, right? SOCs. And of course, they have Wi-Fi built in. In addition to that, you make chips for routers. And then, you know, I want to kind of like get a glimpse of where you are at with that, what we can expect from Wi-Fi 7. And Mm. then to kind of wrap things up, let's talk about how we can kind of like 
benefit from integrating Wi-Fi and cellular together? Absolutely, yeah. So I think Wi-Fi seven, uh, the you know, it's uh, still early days in Wi-Fi seven. It's still in the IEEE standards bodies and MediaTek. We we've been doing IEEE standards, like I said, for about twenty years. So、mm-hmm. sent a lot of engineers who were defining the future, literally the future of Wi-Fi. Now Wi-Fi seven, in our opinion, is going to offer tremendous advantages and will be easy to articulate as compared to Wi-Fi six E over Wi-Fi six because、okay. it is kind of a, a level set. And the first thing that it does is it increases the speed by at least two hundred percent. Wow! You know, so that's something I can easily articulate to anybody, let alone my mom. Right? People's idea of speed and say, "Oh, it's going to be faster." How much faster? Well, by two point two x. They're like, "Wow, that's pretty、okay. darn good." <laughs> right? So that's easy. So you get over that hurdle right away. We're not explaining OFDMA network efficiencies. No,、yeah. we're not trying to explain new bands.、Oh, okay, that's okay. But raw speed. We're sticking with the bands that we have for Wi-Fi seven right now. Yeah, so、okay. Wi-Fi seven will work on all three bands, two point four, five, and six, and the newly minted six gigahertz. And the advantage of Wi-Fi seven is in the six gigahertz, it will be transmitting in what we call wider channel bandwidths.、Okay. So bandwidth is kind of like a channel bandwidth is kind of analogous to the number of lanes you have on a highway. The more lanes you have, the more. Cars that can go through it, you know, you can visualize packets going through. It's the same idea, same analogy. So Wi-Fi seven allows for three hundred twenty megahertz of bandwidth, which is twice. Wow, well, that's a lot. Oh yeah, that is that is twice. That is twi- that's like the autobahn compared to like you know, you know, just a regular interstate highway, right? So that's twice the bandwidth of what Wi-Fi six and six E can offer.、And、the third thing, which doesn't get talked a lot about for Wi-Fi seven, it really introduces,、uh, we believe, groundbreaking technology to reduce latency. Now with five G, five G really did a wonderful job of introducing into the vernacular latency. Because before then, I bet people would understand、uh, yeah. what is latency. Is it late? <laughs> no, but latency has become a very good topic, right? Things happen, you know, supposed to happen when they actually happen. The difference is latency. So Wi Fi Seven has small latency. It's supposed to improve gaming, VR, AR, you name it. And so, you know, I think you know it has just some substantial、uh, level shifted the improvements, some fundamental improvements, right?、Oh, that's great. So, tell us a little bit about, give us an idea, an overview of what MediaTek's reaches in terms of chips and solutions and devices that use Wi-Fi that you're developing Wi-Fi seven for. You know, I can off the top of my head mention these things before, like the smart speakers. Set-top boxes and and media、yes. streamers, but also routers, but also smartphones and tablets, and you know, you do it all. You do it from individual Wi-Fi chips, correct, to integrated、yes. solutions where、yes. SOCs have Wi-Fi systems、yes. in them, to like even small like microcontroller level things with、mm-hmm. Wi-Fi in them. So, oh, you know us well.、Yeah. <laughs> Give us an idea, like the gamut of what MediaTek's、yeah. reaches there, and and what some what some of the products might be that people. But might already have in their homes using MediaTek Wi-Fi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, our we have the industry's broadest Wi-Fi portfolio. I think a lot of people don't know that,、um, but we do. We, like you said, we do everything from the small things. Like we have Wi-Fi one antenna Wi-Fi systems. We call it one by one into sensors,、mm-hmm. doorbells. Uh, we have a two by two, you know, two antenna Wi-Fi systems that's in your TV.、Uh, there was an announcement between MediaTek and Samsung back in April. The world's first AK TV with Wi-Fi 6E is powered by MediaTek. MediaTek. So, and then we, so then, then we have like things like four antennas and on and on. So we are in anything from the smallest of the small to sensors and、uh, you know 
doorbell and to cameras to TVs to set-top boxes to in the higher end to routers. We did an announcement with Asus um, back in April as well about how our Wi-Fi is in their rogue and tough kind of like gaming notebooks. So we're in that as well. Uh, we're in networking, of course, retail. We're in operators, so service providers, operators who provide the very internet access that you and I are doing the Zencaster on. Mm-hmm. Those gateways have Wi-Fi that use us. Uh, we are also in enterprise. So, and then everything in between, right? All the markets in between. And I think you know, last year in 2020, we shipped 600 million Wi-Fi chips. 600 wow. million. And that's not even including the Wi-Fi chips that comes as part of our smartphone, like our right. Dimensity yep. uh, 5G smartphone chipset. Or the I new Companio chips on, exactly. for the tablets. Yep. That, that was just announced like last month, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, two weeks ago, a week ago. But no, just last year, I mean, 600 million chips and, and it's just a complete, uh, very broad portfolio. The main advantage is that when we do that is that we as you know, Wi-Fi has two ends of the link. There's a client, like your TVs and your set-top box or your notebook or your phone. And then you have the AP, which yeah. is your routers and your gateways. So we have both ends of the chip, uh, chips on both ends of the network. And then when we combine them together, you know, there are certain advantages to having MediaTek on both sides. Right? Either it's lower power, slightly uh, faster speeds, immunity to your interference from your neighbor, well, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And so there's a lot of value add that you can tell, like, that you can see that's uh, pretty obvious when you have both sides of the link. So yeah, so we've been in this for a long time. We have a very broad portfolio and we're we're pushing the technology beyond Wi-Fi 6E, as I said, you know, Wi-Fi 7 and, and what lies beyond that. Um, so we'll continue. Sure. What do you think the biggest benefit has been, not just uh, MediaTek Wi-Fi, but Wi-Fi in general in this last year and a half of pandemic? Like, I think for me, what I'm seeing is the biggest challenge is the number of devices on a specific access point router in a specific home, right? Like we've seen almost a doubling instantly of like between people relying more on smart home technology because they're at home so much Mm -hmm. and they want comfort and convenience. Mm. And the fact that everybody's working from home on Mm -hmm. tablets, laptops, and phones And also consuming content simultaneously in different rooms, we're seeing, yeah. I'm sure, a glut of devices connected at the same time. How do you solve this problem? Is it a problem? And are we are we developing solutions? I mean, beyond the standards like Wi-Fi seven, is MediaTek mm-hmm. like coming up with some breakthroughs there? Yeah, so that's a great question. So two things have fundamentally changed during this pandemic, right? One is, yes, you're right. The number of devices that have are attaching to the networks has increased because we're bringing in more gadgets, right? Uh, I, for one, you know, bought a new TV. I connected it with an Apple TV, obviously has Wi-Fi to get, you know, to watch Apple TV. But beyond the number of devices that have been added, the sheer amount of time that each device spends on the network is also increased, right? right? Because whether you're schooling from home, which means you're you know, desktop or laptop is connected to network. You're doing that five, six hours a day working, of course. Uh, you know, any social activities, you know, my kids FaceTime with their friends because they can't go to their house, right? Right, yeah. So uh, these devices are on also for a longer period of time. So you really have a phenomenon where more devices coming together with increased amount of time that each of these devices are on the network. So it's like the perfect storm. And so what that means is your network has to get beefed up. 
And specifically, uh, upgrading to the latest standard that has more speed, that's great, like Wi-Fi 6 and 6E. And in some homes, depending on how it's configured, you need mesh nodes, you know, yep. repeaters or extenders, whatever you call them, to cover. You see these, uh, and these things are going, you know, flying off the shelf. And so what you're doing is you're kind of making your home network into a mini office, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. You have workers, meaning, you know, my, here right now, my, my two kids are downstairs. Uh, you know, they're doing uh, stuff stuff on the internet. Uh, they have their own summer school. So, you know, we have three people actively on the house. Um, when my wife comes back, there's four. So it's like a little small office. And we have some repeaters throughout the home just to make sure, because we have two stories, want to make sure everything is, you know, copacetic on both levels. So if you really think about it, networking has really been forced to mature in the home. To almost a level of a small office, right. and but you don't have the IT guy there, so the network. Right, you need are, some automation to make sure exactly. everything works, right? They have to get smarter, and yeah. the networks have to configure themselves, and they see an issue, almost anneal itself, I guess that's the word, by themselves. Or if they can't, you know, they have to send a message right to your service provider. So, and then there'll be more services coming down the road because I think we're going to be in this hybrid, new normal, whatever you want to call it, mode for quite some time. And people get comfort, right? After being a certain way for a while, it's hard for, for them sure. to change. So I think this is going to be around for us for a long time or some foreseeable future. And I think the network just have to get more uh, faster. You have to kind of uh, understand if there's congestion and get it out of the way, which, you know, MediaTek does. And they also have to communicate uh, intelligently to the cloud through your service provider, which, you know, our chips do as well. You know, we have APIs that kind of communicate on uh, the, logis- the uh, health of the network. You know, plug it right up to the operator's cloud and they kind of look at it and kind of make tweaks on the fly. So these are all very sophisticated systems. And the most important thing is I don't need to explain them to my mother. <laughs> it just works, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. mom, how's your Wi-Fi? Why are you asking? Okay, good. No, oh, that's, that's exactly that's good. what you want <laughs> That's yeah, good. Yeah. And, and so I think MediaTek, really, that's our vision, right? We see new services coming into home because our work-life balance has changed through this pandemic and it'll be here to stay, which means we're really investing in new technologies to kind of beef up the network into, you know, the repeaters, into newer versions of Wi-Fi, like Wi-Fi 7, and also a lot of software, a lot of intelligence. And most importantly, we work with our customers to make sure this all works seamlessly in the background, right? So nobody has to know. They shouldn't have to know. So last question for you real quick. You at MediaTek have a ton of expertise in 5G, right? We, mm-hmm. We've seen 5G across a number of chipsets and especially on the smartphone and, and tablet side of things. Um, how much are we going to see integration between 5G and Wi-Fi at the, at the non-SOC level in the sense of maybe at, at the AP router level or, or in mm. other devices that somehow bridge the gap and might even be able to communicate via both simultaneously to increase performance? How much of that mm-hmm. is happening in the Wi-Fi field? Um, great question. It's already happening. And uh, so MediaTek, uh, we, we have an entirely dedicated business line that's attributed to things like this. Uh, things are outside the norm, shall we say. So we have uh, what our CEO calls the 5G beyond smartphone. He doesn't like to use non-smartphones, a little yeah. negative, but <laughs> beyond smartphone product line. And that product line last year in September, we announced the world's first chip that combines 5G with Wi-Fi, plus some other networking technologies. And that was uh, to address this, all of a sudden, this burgeoning need for 5G fixed wireless access, a home gateway. So 
you know, instead of using cable or DSL or some wire technology like fiber for your home internet, you can now hoist up a little 5G antenna inside your box. It gets 5G in, that's your internet. And mm -hmm. then in your home, you distribute using Wi-Fi. And of course, these two things, you know, you have to put them in the box. The box you know, can't be too big. And they also don't can't fight against each other because you know, <laughs> yes. two radios inside the same box each kind of think they're, you know, Mr. Beefy, you know, <laughs> multiple gigabits per second. You know, you got to make sure these guys play nice. And, and so we have a lot of technology, what we call 5G and Wi-Fi coexistence to allow it to, well, coexist uh, peacefully. And so we introduced that chipset last September. And um, that was the world's first, I think, uh, a solution for this 5G, kind of this gateway with Wi-Fi. And uh, it's been very successful. And that just shows uh, kind of the forward thinking that we have. We're integrating everything in because we can. And we have yeah. the technology. And we see that this is not just a trend. It is a reality, right? Things go from talked about to trending to Insta. And then it becomes a thing. So I think this is already a thing. And, uh, and you know, and there'll be more products like that from us now. Fantastic. Well, listen, James, we've got to run, but thanks so much for giving us a good perspective on what Wi-Fi has done, is doing, and will be doing, and, uh, and how MediaTek fits into this, because obviously it does extensively. So I appreciate your thoughts and your input on this. Absolutely. And thank you for having uh, me here, uh, Miriam, today. No worries. Thanks so much again for being my guest. So, David, you're here now. Welcome. I am. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. So what did you think of this uh, Wi-Fi stuff here? I, I think that if I did not have Wi-Fi, um, my life would change dramatically for the worse in pretty much every way, actually. Yeah. So we got a bunch of news. And I think, obviously, the biggest news, the one that you and I are the most excited about, like by a long shot, is the Pixel 6 announcement, 6.6 Pro Tensor chip. All of that is real now, even though, well, we don't have the devices till October, I think. Let's speak about that for a second. The Google PR angle, what's, what's, what's your take on what they're doing there? Well, I mean, they've done this a few times now, right? To varying degrees. I think they are fine-tuning an approach they began two years ago. Right. Where they're like, okay, let's, let's put out the phone before we announce it and see what happens. And they tried that because it leaked and it was funny joke and everybody laughs. <laughs> and then they're probably like, you know, we got a lot more earned media by doing it this way. Um, and then they tried it again next year and because of the virtual launch made sense, right? Like it just was like, well, it's COVID. You know, of course they're going to do that. Well, duh. But I think what they've seen is what OnePlus has seen. Right. The more you tease out a phone, the longer people are going to talk about it. And it's very hard I would say, for better or worse, to get the media to stop talking about an unreleased phone if the official source is still teasing out details. They are just going to be like, you know what, we've got to get back to the watering hole here. This is stuff people want to know. Yeah. And I think Google is doing it in a way that feels less baity than, say, OnePlus is. Granted, <laughs> it is a much less inclusive approach than OnePlus is. Yeah, no, I think it was good. I mean, I feel like we needed to get something i didn't expect it i think very few people got briefed ahead of time and they kind of dropped it on us which was like kind of what i think was part of the weirdness of it i mean as you said no different that one time where they dropped like the pixel 4 images right. or whatever it was yes but i think still like it was a bit unorthodox then again 
let's talk about the good and bad because obviously we have thoughts and opinions. Haha, <laughs> you and I for sure. So I feel like on one hand, I'm very excited. Like I had Max on the show like a few weeks back and you mm -hmm. know, he's full of good news and interesting news. And he basically said, look, they want to compete with Samsung this year. He, he kind of broke that news on the show and said, this is, Google's going to get really serious this year. And it seems to me that's true. What, what do you think? Well, I think wanting is good. Um, I think that is really, at this point, how I would distill Google's goals of competing with Samsung is really, well, it's aspirational. Right. Um, they're trying. And I think with the Pixel 5, they weren't so that's it they're pushing money into it like it seems like you know their cfo said that in the earnings call i don't think they've ever done that before though oh Have i they? don't know if i believe that i think that is good spin for earnings i i think that with the original pixel there was quite a sizable marketing push because it was a new brand yeah. i mean that is the that is the first time you get to introduce that brand to consumers and you make a big splash and they really did um yeah you were at the event for the original pixel right yeah, like yeah. they made a fairly big to do out of it it was a big deal they had tons of people there to answer questions all the hardware partners like it was a very well organized event um they got into nitty gritty really fast, like, and they got into details. And I, that was like when I was like, okay, Google's getting serious about the phone thing in a very producty way. Whereas mm -hmm. before it'd been more like a tool kind of way. Like we're really excited about the tool we've built. Um, come <laughs> look at it. Uh, you know, then with Pixel, it was much more about polish. You know, really putting something out there that's finished per se. Even if the Pixel wasn't totally finished, um, but. I think they did have a pretty strong marketing push behind it. Do I think it was as strong with the two, the three, the four? I think the four had a really strong push. Actually, Martha Stewart was at the launch of no, the Pixel I know, 4. No, I know, I know, I know. It was weird. <laughs> the, I, yes. I felt the, the problem I have with Google in general is that I feel like they're in their own universe. I mean, Apple, we they know, are. is in their own universe, and we've accepted that. But it's taken me a while to realize that, you know, when I was at Engadget, years ago and I dealt with Google PR, they weren't quite that far out on left field. Like the whole company was a lot more, they were always very arrogant, but not nearly as arrogant as Apple. And I feel now they're like, you know, when you say arrogant, I feel like I can name a name and I'm not going yeah. to. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't even want to say arrogant in the like snobby way, but more arrogant in the we're too cool for school and so much so yes. like that we're doing our own thing, like the hipster arrogant. And it's kind of endearing, but also at the same time kind of tiring now. And so I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, okay, I'm like, just, just make good products. Okay. Let's just like deliver. That's what we want. And I think that really hasn't happened. I feel like they tried with the one, they tried with the two, the three was a bit weird because half of it was LG, half of it was HTC. And then they had the, the bathtub cutout that I don't know how that even passed through the pipe <laughs> to the end. And then the four, the four was very experimental. I'm going to give him credit for that, but I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't what people wanted. And there's some great things in there, but they still failed to deliver a competitive product. And maybe that's what not the, what they were aiming for, but I always was under the impression that if you make phones these days, which is a losing proposition to start with, you want to at least be competitive. And so the five, the five wasn't even on the map, in my opinion. I mean, it's a great phone. The 4A 5G, I think, is a better phone for last year. 
And yeah. I don't know what the 5A is going to bring, but I have a feeling it's going to be pretty good for the money. And then the next thing you know, here we are with the 6. And the 6 and 6 Pro are the first time, even counting the original Pixel, because the original Pixel lacked OIS, for example. There were a few things in the original yeah. Pixel that were like, eh. But this, to me, is like, I can get head-to-head with OnePlus 9 Pro, Galaxy S21, maybe not the Ultra, because you don't have the, the kind of crazy telephoto here, but... Like definitely competitive with the Mi 11s and the Oppo Find X3 Pros, and the it's finally there, right? Like at least on paper. Sure, and I I think you know from a global perspective, it that makes a lot of sense. And but Google is for consumer products as an extremely North American company, for and sure. Then maybe a little bit of Europe, like that is really their focus. And so they're looking at the American market, which is owned by Apple and Samsung, right? Yeah. You know, we 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 know that, and. So I think when they look at smartphone features, um, they're mostly looking at Apple. And I think that's really what they've been doing with the Pixel line for the last few years. They've been looking at Apple's approach, which, you know, we all know is more conservative. Um, You know, they bring things on a little slower. Um, They're a little slower to try new technology. Um, Sometimes they're ahead of the curve, but Apple usually waits and sees and, you know, figures out what they're going to do, like multi-camera systems. Apple took its time and thought about, okay, which way do we want to do this? And I don't think they really necessarily hit it out of the park either initially, right? I think Apple, you know, they, they've been a little like they, they've always had that trepidation about like, is this actually something people want or is this new marketing hype? But then they surprised us with things like in-body stabilization, right? Like that was like, what? Yeah, and I think that's where you see a company like Apple play to its strengths, which are the creator market. Like they know that, hey, we've got these prosumers out here who are really the heroes for our product. And if they don't feel like that product is delivering a hero like video experience, why are they going to brag about it? They're not they're not going to want to do that. So Apple looks at it differently. Google, on the other hand, doesn't have that audience like Google's audience, a bunch of nerds like us, like, you know, it's, it's a bunch of phone geeks. Mm -hmm. And so do we particularly care about some of these things? And I think Google has a hard time reconciling okay we understand these people buy our phones and they really like them and they're asking for all these things but our real you know we're, we're licking our lips over here looking at samsung and apple's customers and being like but what do they want because there are so many of them and that i think has really been where google has been torn is deciding okay we have to make, you know, the core, the base happy to some extent, but we also really, really, really have to go after these Apple and Samsung customers. And I think what you see this year, and I think I've seen other people mention it, I think Ryan Hager at AP might have put the idea in my head when he said it to me, is that you see Google aiming much more squarely at Samsung this year than you do at Apple. Exactly, which I think they should always have done because it's hard as an Android maker, especially the Android maker, like you're making freaking the best version of Android. Like right. user experience wise, it's hard when you do that to compete with Apple. Like, it is. I mean, aim your goals at competing with Samsung, which I think they're finally doing. I think that's, you know, I think it makes much more sense. And I think that Google, like you said, there is that, I, I don't know if arrogance is the right word necessarily, but there is that kind of like humble brag quality to Google sometimes yeah. where it's like, no, 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 we're not concerned about that. Don't worry about that. We're concerned about more important things. Come over here and look what we think is important. And it's like, okay, I get it, guys. Like you are an extreme, you are a 
among a truly tiny group of companies that are so big that you could probably release really terrible phones for 20 years and it would no way in no way hurt you exactly. like it would not have a sizable financial impact so yes google i think to some extent has earned that confidence oh, but yeah. i don't think they've earned that confidence in terms of we're taking on apple we're taking on samsung i think that is if they are serious about climbing that hill they are in for a long long climb it's not going to take one phone it's going to take no. five. Oh like, yeah <laughs> it's going to take a long but time but you got to start somewhere and to me right. this is the first time i'm looking at this and going okay on yeah. paper and what knowing what i know of pixel software today and android 12 preview today i think you've got a very strong foundation here and this so got me excited and a lot of it has to do with the hardware finally i mean they didn't talk about wireless charging. I bloody well hope those two phones have it <laughs> because everything else they kind of talked about. They haven't talked about a lot of things, right? <laughs> well, I know, but but they talked about a lot of the, you know, like we don't know the megapixel count, but we know it's going to be a modern yeah. sensor finally. We've we got know, the optics and sensor, yeah. 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 And we know that's going to be enough RAM because they learned that lesson with the 5 and I think they've, they've done a good job since. We yeah. know that the displays are going to be decent. You know, they sure. already told us some stuff around that. So I feel like the only, the few things we don't know, if they don't mess those up, I think we're okay in terms of hardware. And then the software, of course, if they can make their camera magic even better, like they're exclaiming with video, and if they can make the uh, software experience from Android 12 sing on this thing, as kind of like they've always done on the Pixels, I think we're going to have a great phone. And then, of course, there's the whole, you know, let's talk about Whitechapel slash Tensor. And let's talk about how Qualcomm's feeling right now. <laughs> so that whole thing, that's a whole other can of worms. Right? I will say on the imaging side um, that I do think um, it's really important for Google to sell the video story because, A, historically, Android's terrible at video because uh, yeah. guess what? Qualcomm's <laughs> terrible at video. Um, so <laughs> like... That's that's really been the limitation on the platform compared to Apple because Apple's had their own ISP architecture for years. And guess what? It's great. Works awesome. Like Apple knows video. Um, and I think that Google understands that they weren't able to get to the level they needed to with video yeah. um, in order to do that. So I, I think that really for them, um, you know, that is a huge marketing point because when you show your friends a video or your family a video, you know, oftentimes the question is, if at least if it's good or really bad, I guess, what did you what did you shoot that on? And, um, you know, I think that is a really important grassroots marketing thing, you know, because, um, you know, Artem, the uh, the owner of Android Police, he talks about this all the time. He goes to take photos of his kids in the backyard, even in daylight. You know, if there's some shadows, like getting photos of moving people it's really hard on a phone and you know video too like if it lags for like three seconds after you hit the record button moments gone yeah um, or the shakes really bad or there's some weird audio artifacts which have also been a problem on pixels for video yeah. um so i think that you know this this segues nicely into discussion of tensor and Whitechapel, right because google clearly has decided that they are going to get better ROI out of starting to invest in some of the silicon themselves in terms of end user experience. They wouldn't do this if they felt like they were providing a degradation of experience. So that in and of itself does make me feel, you know, excited and interested in what they're doing. Now that said, doesn't mean it's going to be a bug free or perfect experience. Oh, yeah. I kind of doubt it <laughs> oh. will be. But 
I think that Google will have silicon growing pains, but what what I'm interested to find out, as we all are, is for somebody to rip one open and be like, what's actually in there? Um, and that's, you know, the Anon tech and the iFixit teardowns. Those will really tell the big story about what Google is doing and what its ambitions are. They can talk about Tensor until they're blue in the face. It's just a name. It's not it's not a thing in and of itself. Tensor, at least not in the way they're using it here. Right. Yeah, here, of course. It's a marketing name. So, you know, it may be that like what you do end up with here is the off-the-shelf ARM CPU cores, the off-the-shelf ARM GPU solution, and an off-the-shelf radio solution. But Google adds in little pieces, little modules um, of its own design. Now, there are some interesting areas where they could innovate. I think where you've seen the biggest leaps, uh, you know, I'm sure you agree, is in DSP architecture uh, because of AI. And Mm -hmm. so, so much more silicon die area is going to these DSPs now because of all the AI operations and ML operations on phones. And Google, first and foremost, in AI and ML, you know, I mean, maybe some people (laughs) debate that, but I don't think it's up for debate. No. Um, they, they understand this stuff so much better. And so, and they've already proven that they can deliver real world AI experiences on a smartphone. Like they've shown like your Google Photos searches way faster because it's using AI to search them locally. Like it just knows to do that. Um, you know, and you also have like processing stuff like the the image uh, examples they showed, like where they're like, oh, this would have been a really terrible image, but with the power of AI, um, <laughs> you know, we were able to transform it into something that's totally great. It's a great picture. So I think all of that is exciting. I think that, you know, Google has historically, to me, been willing to get a little too like Apple in terms of touting their own achievements on hardware. It's like, all right, guys, slow down. How much of this did you actually do? And don't get me wrong, building an SOC, even with off the shelf, is still extremely hard. That's the challenge, right? That's not easy. Oh, yeah. It's not a small accomplishment. But in the competitive landscape, that's not necessarily a huge advantage. That could actually be a huge disadvantage if you don't do it right. So I am cautiously optimistic because I think it's what Google needs to do. And I think it's where Google has been putting organizational resources beyond the mobile sphere because they know this stuff is important in a, a much larger computing sense. It's globally important. Like this is how we're going to scale a lot of things and make and solve a lot of hard problems, which is cool. But does that vision and the reality of, you know, what they can do on a phone right now, do those meet in a way that actually creates a better experience with the product? And that, wow, that's going to be the big question. It is. And right? that is the one I am kind of wait and see about because I want to see, hey, Google, you've said for so many years, oh, I've just set off everybody's home. <laughs> that's um, fine. <laughs> you've said for so many years that, you know, if only you had more control, more control of the hardware, more control going down the stack that you could do these things. Show me you can do them. Um, Show me you can do these things that you're like, well, Apple can do that because such and such. And okay, that's a fine excuse. And I agree with you. Qualcomm is a limiting factor for uh, for phone OEMs. You know, there are certain things Qualcomm is really great at that no other phone maker would be able to become close to matching them at, like modems, like Qualcomm is making the best modems. For sure. Um, And so, you know, that's, that's, you know, another obvious thing. But Google has to show us <laughs> that they are able to bring something meaningful to the table and say, actually, we do this better than everybody else, and here's why. And I haven't quite yet seen that. I'm I'm optimistic that Google will show us those use cases. Now, will they knock everybody's socks off? Maybe not. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how I feel, too. I feel like, you know, the... The tooting their own horns thing has always been very funny coming from Google because yes. Apple has actually delivered 
like not just great mm-hmm. product, but sales that match, right? Whereas Google, the products have been sometimes great, not always. And I would argue that Apple has had a more consistent track record in the quality of its products. And then sure. on top of that, you know, they haven't really sold that many pixels. But I think yes. the other thing that you brought up that I think is important is that, yeah, it, it doesn't matter so much how this all happens. Ultimately, it's the end result, it's the experience. And I'm hoping that by going to their own silicon, we don't lose some of the kind of what we take for granted base experiences, that we just get enhanced experiences on top of what we expect. And that's likely to happen, I think, because if you think about it, that's how Apple dominates by having that vertical ecosystem, right? So I think that by owning your own chips in a way or design your own chips, whatever you want to call it, I think you're kind of achieving that to some extent. And there's potential there for, you know, I hate that word, but great synergy, right? And so I think that's what I'm looking at. And I think that, as you said, until I fix it or XDA or, you know, a non-tech or whatever, somebody takes it apart and looks, we won't know. Maybe it's an Exynos SOC at the core, you know, with all that tensor ML extra cores. And maybe uh, for all we know, it's a Qualcomm 5G modem, right? Like, we don't even know, right? No, we don't. What does Samsung do for their Exynos devices? None of them have 5G. Do they have their own 5G? They do. Um, They have low and mid band. Don't quote me. I don't believe there's a Shannon modem with millimeter wave yet. Um, There might be a reference design. This needs millimeter wave, I think, because, you know, if they want the US market, they need Verizon. And I don't see this, at least one of these two phones, if not both phones, especially now with Apple having all their iPhone 12s with millimeter wave pretty much. Right. Like we can't have not have millimeter wave. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards a Qualcomm modem. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about that. So number one, Google, I bet like every other phone maker feels like they got burned on millimeter wave Um, because I mean, who wrote the article? Was it on light reading that they said mobile millimeter wave is dead? I think Mike Dano, maybe it wasn't Mike. I think it was Mike. He finally wrote an article and said mobile millimeter wave is dead. And I was like, called it. Um, (laughs) and, And I think that's true and fair. Now, do I think that that makes millimeter wave useless in a phone? Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I, I would, I've, I've never said it's useless. I just think that the use cases are on the edge. Like, and maybe they will get there. But to me, you're right about the competitive marketing advantage, where it's like, well, Verizon is not going to spend a bunch of money marketing a phone that doesn't have their fastest 5G. Exactly. Right now. Why would they do that? That's stupid. You know, they and won't- they're one third of the U.S. market. Right. None of these carriers are going to step back hard on the millimeter wave thing until AT&T and Verizon get their mid band up and running. And at that point, I think you're suddenly going to start seeing fewer phones of millimeter wave, but at least in the mid high range. I think the super high tier phones, they'll keep it. Qualcomm will make sure they do because Qualcomm will price it such that it is tenable um because qualcomm really wants that to happen so i i do i do think that you're right though the competitive marketing advantage on that side but we don't know and so you know one of the things that like i've been kind of miffed about you don't think about the modem in your phone most people don't but in the (laughs) iphone you know with with the iphones now like i've noticed that the way their modems are like tuned like the performance is like notably worse than my Samsung phones. Like they just get worse speeds, worse reception, um, you know, just work less well on mobile data, which to me is just like 
mind-blowing for one and also frustrating because i'm like i have another phone right here and it works just fine on this network that could also be because i'm running ios 15 beta but anyway (laughs) um you know that that is something that you know i do think about do regular consumers think about it no are they going to care no is it ever going to appear in a piece of marketing material no um but these are you know i think little things that show you care like putting a qualcomm modem in says we want to use the best part that's available because that's what the best part is putting a shannon modem in says we went with the solution that was cost effective um, yeah, I, so. I really don't. I, again, I would be super surprised. As much as I agree yeah. with you that that Google's been burned by millimeter wave, they still are going to have to include it in these to again to check the boxes and be taken seriously right. in this market and to have that one third of the carrier market that they need. Yep. Um, and and beyond that, also you know Qualcomm. Like I kind of feel that to stay on Qualcomm's good side is probably important, even for Google. And as such, you know, you've already they've already pulled the uh, SOC out of the uh, rug from underneath Qualcomm's feet. So maybe by saying, oh, we'll use your modems, you know, they kind of save grace. You know, that that whole thing is going to be very interesting to me to watch unfold because I can only imagine the drama um, of all this. Like it's it's super nerdy. But at the same time, in terms of business relationship, Qualcomm and Google have worked very closely together for a long, long time. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. And that's going to change. And and they got burnt last year, I think, Google, because they were forced in a way for marketing reasons to include the millimeter wave on the five in the U.S., making it $100 more. The millimeter right. wave tax was real back then. I think Apple has leveled the millimeter wave tax because even with the so S21, too. you don't see it anymore, right? The S21 right. is a pretty affordable phone despite having millimeter wave from the get-go. And so yes. I think that's, that's, that's over now. But at the time the Pixel 5 came out, you know, and and of course, Google was frustrated, but they pass it on to the consumer, right? I think that the Pixel 5 would have been much more palatable at $100 less, like it I was agree. abroad, if it had been sold in the US at that price, and you, they would have had a special SKU like they did for the 4A 5G for Verizon, right? Yeah. I think I think you're right. They should have called a mulligan on it and just said, you know what, we're just not gonna, we're just gonna eat it, and you know, we're gonna call it the COVID year. You know, things didn't go to plan, yeah, yeah. and just price it a hundred dollars less. Which, of course, the Pixel Five, you know, MSRP drops were almost immediate. Um, so Google did exactly what it always does, which <laughs> is just like that's what makes it annoying because you're like, listen, do not pre-order a Google phone. Just don't do it wait a month just a month that's all you <laughs> just need wait a month and you'll save 150 or 200 dollars. and it'll be available again or well, maybe not that's the other problem yeah. availability I, they really need to fix that that's interesting so i think that is a really interesting question because of the chip shortage so you know google could people have said oh well it's an advantage to google doing their own chip and that that's wrong that's incorrect um that it's a disadvantage um it is a big disadvantage it's a huge disadvantage because guess what google isn't ordering chips at scale like you're not sitting at the top of the fab list like they're like yeah we got qualcomm we got (laughs) apple we got mediatek we're we're busy here like your order for a million units like we don't even blink at that. Yeah. So I think probably what's likely happened here, Google probably got a sweetheart deal with Samsung's fab and said, you know, let's try this. Um, you know, first time customer get you in the door kind of thing. So hopefully they got lucky and do have adequate supply given the launch countries for the pixel six. Mm, 
<laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how many yeah. phones are available. You know, everybody's struggling right now. And just because Samsung is making it doesn't mean Samsung can get all the little pieces they have to glue strip to the SOC. Like, yeah. you're missing one piece. Phone doesn't get put together. Yeah. So that will be interesting to see. And I will be very curious if there is a shortage issue because it's hit every industry. But phones have at least the high end not been super impacted because I think that the margins are so good that you can eat some of that on supply chain and say, guess what? We'll up our costs a little bit if it means we can keep supply coming. Um, so I think they can push the top of the line or the front of the line as it were a little more easily. Whereas a car company making a $24,000 economy car is like, we've got $1,500 of margin built into this yeah. $24,000 product. <laughs> There's no more room to squeeze. Um, Pretty so, much. yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how the supply situation works out. I'm, I'm genuinely curious and like it, it's been a bummer this year because the supply situation with Silicon has not only made some things like cars much more expensive, it's made certain other products just very hard to get. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you want, yeah, playstations, in-home exercise equipment, like if oh, you yeah? want, yeah, you know, stuff like a treadmill with a big like smart display on it, like good luck. You know, you're going to be waiting months. Like, it's not just because wow. people want them. It's just because webcams for a while, webcams, too. webcams for a while. I mean, it, it's affecting everything. So I will be curious how that plays out. I will also be curious how the pricing plays out um, and what. Well, that look, actually, let's talk about that, because I actually think that this is an opportunity in terms of marketing to stand up to to Samsung, especially mm -hmm. if we know that they're going to discount after a month like Samsung, that yeah. they should aim high. I actually think that you will have a certain cachet. If if the product delivers, they could sell this at $1,000 for the 6 and 1200 or something for the 6 Pro. And people would go, oh my freaking God. But then people would do what they did with Apple and Samsung, which was, well, okay, I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I think, I and think so. And then the prices would drop on sale. The carriers would have deals. And then it would all work, right? I think... Because especially in the U.S., people buy subsidized. So the carriers, all three better be on board. If Google does not have the carriers on this, we're effed. Yeah, and I'm sure they are. I, I would be so shocked if, um, well, I mean, T-Mobile is the one wild card to me. I guarantee Verizon selling this thing. And I guarantee I would be shocked if AT&T doesn't sell it. Well, yeah, um, me too. But at the same time, AT&T hasn't supported almost any unlocked phones on the market except for Samsung and Apple lately. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's a function of 5G transition because it was the same way with AT&T and 4G. They were like, nothing works on our 4G network. And it's they, they held that line for quite a while back in the day. The difference back then, though, is that you could buy an unlocked phone and it would just work. Whereas right now, they're actively blocking unlocked 5G phones with the right bands to work on their network right right no i mean at&t's always had a whitelist um for for i believe for 4g lte they did have a whitelist initially i don't know how long it lasted 4g hspa plus you could just buy any phone and right. it should just work because i remember i had the uh was the inspire hd plus or whatever it was something like that or desire hd desire hd oh that's plus. an hdc okay yes yeah that was one of the early hspa plus phones that could do like a crazy 54 megabits a second down Ooh, i know but anyway uh yeah i think the network situation in the u.s is such that we've seen we're seeing a return to whitelisting again like verizon's always been whitelist at&t is embracing it with a newfound love and t-mobile generally is okay about unlock yeah but 
they've started really clamping down on legacy devices. So I, I think all the carriers are, you know, kind of consolidating ranks and saying you need to, unless it's an Apple or a Samsung, you got to buy it here. Yeah, as I said in the podcast, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks ago, you can walk into a T-Mobile store right now. If you play your cards right, walk away with money in your pocket and a brand new 5G phone. Right. Because they're so desperate to sell you a new phone yes. to get 5G on your on your account. And mm-hmm. they'll do almost anything. So just, you know, ask something completely outrageous and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But that's I, I think it's a good thing overall. Like, I was pretty excited. Like, I, I reviewed the... Uh, the Nord N two hundred five G a while back, and you know it's like a it's not the kind of phone that I'm very excited about. But then I got three hundred down and forty or fifty up in the middle of the boonies on mid band, yep. and I was just like, oh yeah, now this yeah. is this is exciting for two hundred forty dollars. Wow, you know it's funny. So I got like I was telling you, I got an iPhone twelve Pro Max the other day, and don't worry, I'm going to upgrade it as soon as the new one comes out. I'm not an idiot. I'm just being frivolous with my money um but uh anyway so i got the 12 pro max and what i noticed i live you know relatively near the cupertino spaceship um such that that is my closest apple store is actually the one at the spaceship um and so i was testing at&t there and previously at&t's 5g there was just like very basic low band like five megahertz allocated i think and it was like whatever like good signal slow but they i think since then have allocated way more bandwidth near apple to 5g because it now does like 250 down and 70 up i've never seen that on at&t on 5g ever yeah wow it it really does so where i live at least um there are spots like that where you're like oh wow it is really fast granted you are like next to a microcell or something probably yeah um but uh, yeah, I did. I did notice probably that. one right in the spaceship. There used to literally be like almost no reception right there across the street from the spaceship on AT and T. You can tell AT and T went over there and just like five G to everything <laughs> because they're like we got to keep all these Apple employees on. Well, AT&T. rightfully so, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think. Look, I think this is exciting. Are you excited about the Pixel Six and Six Pro? I like, am. I mean, there's a lot of question marks. We've kind of covered them, but. I feel more excited about this Pixel than any previous Pixel. And I know Agreed. there's a lot of hype here, but I feel like it's real. I feel like Google is somehow more serious, yeah. despite the arrogance and the Googleness of all things and the way they do things there, you know, and as you said, the humble brag and like all of that is real, but it doesn't, like I'm a huge Google fan. I love their products. Yeah, I use too. them all the time. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being realistic. It's like, that's why Pixel's perfect for me. OnePlus is probably second best for me yep. right now. But OnePlus is going in a different direction. And they so, <laughs> you know, Pixel is kind of my... Um, this 6 has really got me excited because I'm like, finally I can get an S21-ish grade phone for right. my needs without sacrificing... And I don't know if you would agree, but my favorite phone this year has been the S21 Ultra. Like, that's been my favorite phone. I have to agree. It's my favorite phone in every way except... I would say two. One, it's One UI 3.0 is, mm, I prefer 2.0. Um, and <laughs> and the experience is not really my bag. But the other thing is, I don't want to be like everyone else. Yeah, that's like, true. I just <laughs> sure. feel like they're everywhere. And But I have to say, when I use it, especially the camera, I use it a lot. 
I'm just like, wow. Like, I mean, short of yeah. a Pixel, this would be my second choice. And then my third choice would be some kind of iPhone 12 exactly. Pro, Exactly. And right? so, like, for me, like, I'm I'm like you. And I just think, like, okay, if Google can just do a Periscope camera with their magical super res zoom technology, that's all I really want out of an imaging experience. And that's what they're giving us. So I'm yeah. like great you are and honestly because it's only 4x that should mean the aperture is a little bigger so it should yeah, be easier exactly. to steady i really hope and if it's a 50 megapixel main sensor and they play their cards right with the super zoom algorithms that they were using on the regular pixels so yes. far with 12 megapixels at the source we're going to get some really good zoom up to 4x from the main sensor right and then the telephoto takes over i think it's gonna exactly. be great yeah yeah and i think that's dead on and i think that's the reason they did 4x you're right because one to 4x super res zoom like why would you still want anything else i don't need a dedicated 2x optical i was blown away when i reviewed the 4a last year the the basic 4a and yeah. i took it to treasure island and took photos of downtown san francisco on a normal sunny day and i, I kept zooming i kept zooming and i took some 5x shots and i swear to you david <laughs> they looked as good as some periscope 5x phones i used google's algorithms are no joke it wouldn't be that good in lower light but i was just like Wow, that's when I realized really I hadn't really used super zoom that much, like a being it with a real optical zoom. And that's when I realized, oh my God, if they had more pixels to start with, uh, this would be pretty incredible. Yeah. So definitely. We'll see. I'm I'm excited and I just hope that we don't get something boneheaded like no wireless charging or no and I hate to say this, I'm not a Verizon customer, but I want millimeter wave on this thing. I do, because I do live in a millimeter wave area. And if I can put a Verizon sim in there and upload my videos in 10 seconds <laughs> by just walking out my door, which is I've been doing, and sometimes I need to upload YouTube videos and my internet I max out at about 20 megabits. It's not that great for uploads. Yeah. So I walk out there, I put the video on my phone and I go, all right, here we are. Bang, it's on YouTube in like five minutes, right? Yeah, that is nice. And that is one of those things where that's also just a function of terrible internet infrastructure in America. Well, of but, course it is, right? Like, yeah. I mean, literally neighbors from mine a block away can get fiber, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they have gigabit up and I don't. And we're like literally five houses apart. And I don't know why. Yeah, and I have I have like gigabit down, but guess what? <laughs> 40 megabits up. Yeah, exactly. I have yeah. like 250 down or something. Anyway, like the reality is it's it's useful, but it's kind of ridiculous that I have to sideload right. my video onto a phone and then go out there, literally stand around the corner to next to the Pico cell and do my thing. It's like, I feel like, you know, I, my bathroom is outside in the outhouse. That's what it feels like. That's the <laughs> modern equivalent. Just of need that. to come up with this kind of Rube Goldberg machine to send the phone outside and then bring it back in. Well, honestly, I'm, it's just short enough. Like I need a long pole because it's right around the corner. So I, what I really need is to find something that reaches around the corner, basically from mm. my house, because it's the, it's the perpendicular block to me that has the Pico cell. So it's like, I don't get any of it where I am, but if I walk 30 feet in one direction, I start getting like gigabit. <sighs> it's weird. The promise of the future. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's switch gears to uh, some news items really quick. So, you know, what's interesting this week, it's been very quiet for some reason. I think like Google just really nailed it with the Pixel announcement in a way, I feel. Because yeah. like, you know, you never know when you plan an announcement that it might be drowned out by something else. And right. well, they pretty much had the week to themselves because here's what we got for the rest of it. We've got the Realme Magdart with the Oppo under display camera, some Xiaomi and Honor devices coming, and then some price leaks for the Z Fold and Z Flip. So... Let's go through this real quick. 
Realme copied Apple's MagSafe phone puck thing with something called the Mag Dart. Okay, the name first of all, like, oh my god. <laughs> it's it's tragic. Oh, China. But but here's what's interesting. It's 50 watt wireless charging with mm -hmm. you know using a magnetic puck. Yeah. But there's two pucks. There's a 15 watt super slim normal looking puck like the iPhone would use. And then there's this fat thick boxy has a fan in it yeah i was gonna say for 50 watt <laughs> charging it's very interesting i wonder so my curiosity around that a i remember the first time i tried a wireless charger with a fan it was samsung's first fast wireless charger and it had a fan in it and i'm like this does not seem tenable um, but anyway i was like that's interesting and at the time this was like five years ago so this was right. quite a while ago and so they've kept coming, obviously OnePlus uh, being the most notable uh, user with their truly chonky wireless charger. It is one of the chonkiest <laughs> oh, yeah. things around. And to me, it's like, okay, what? so A, obviously a little AC fan is going to be like super cheap. They're a dime a dozen. Like it's a super cheap component. You can source it from a million other supply chains. Um, yeah. So I understand the cost side of it. That said, the elegance of a passive cooled solution is infinitely greater and long lived. And especially so, when it's magnetically stuck to the back of your phone. Right. Like if you're just resting it on a stand, it's one thing. Yeah. But this is kind of ridiculous in my yeah, opinion. Exactly. You don't need to force like induction of air from the phone if it's magnetically attached to something. You have a heat sink. It's literally making a heat sink out of the contact point. So yeah, I would be curious to see like if there's some like you know, suspended liquid cooling solutions that come out for these these charging systems because there's got to be there's got to be a more elegant way to dissipate the heat than that. There just has to be. Use the cable as a heat sink. Yeah, yeah, totally. Maybe sounds safe. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, no, I think look, I think it's funny. It's very Chinese. Is what yeah. what made me happy about it was I was like, yeah, of course, like they're just gonna do something outrageous like that. It's like when Red Magic put a fan in a phone for the first time. Yep. Now, you know, we take it for granted on gaming phones, but the first time they did it, everybody's like, you got to be kidding me. And then it turns out to be actually a very good idea, but it was a little unwieldy at first. I think this will evolve, but I wouldn't be surprised if the entire BBK ecosystem switches to some sort of compatible system here, sure. since they're all kind of using the same technology anyway for their fast charging. Yeah. Speaking of BBK group, everyone is doing an under-display camera this, this year, the Axon 20 Last year, 20 Pro, whatever it was from ZTE, was mm -hmm. the first one. It sucked by every yeah. measurable, like the quality <laughs> of the photo and also the the visibility of the, you know, whatever the area. I don't think I've ever gotten a more lukewarm offer to try out a phone from a company either. There's like, you can try it if you want. <laughs> yeah, no, it was bad. But this year, it seems that, you know, with Samsung rumored to be doing it on the Z Fold, I think they wouldn't do it if it was completely horrible. Yeah. And the I've seen samples of the ZT Axon 35G, which I'm getting a review unit of, by the way. And that looks much better. And then, you know, Oppo just showed their version. And that also looks like, you know, basically you don't see the area on the screen as much. The mm -hmm. pictures it takes seem to be better. The AI they're using for de-screening the, the shot is better. And then, you know, there's rumors of, of Xiaomi launching their Mi Mix 4 August 10th. And part of that rumors mill is also because it's the mix, right? Remember, the original mix was the phone with almost no bezel. And right. obviously, you don't want a camera having a hole punch or something in here. So this would also have an under display. So we're looking at essentially right now four potential devices coming. 
some Oppo in the future, some Xiaomi soon, and very soon the Samsung phone, and then this already released ZTE phone that has this under display. Do you think this next year is going to be under display year then? You know, that's it's interesting because it's one of those things where in terms of the, the utility of the feature, it's immediately obvious, right? Um, you know, you get screen back. Um, and which is, you know, yeah. desirable. So from that perspective, I've always been a proponent of this because I'm like, well, duh, it solves an obvious problem. This ugly hole at the top of the phone. That said, um, it may still be one of those things where there are too many sacrifices outside the use cases where you really want it. Um, so, for example, a phone that looks truly bezel-less or a foldable phone or something that's a non-traditional form factor um, where that might benefit from that. So I think, though, what we'll see, you know, these will get better, right? These will slowly, yeah, they'll start absolutely. to solve the problems. I think AI is going to be huge for them because just telling the camera what not to pay attention to and what to ignore is going to be a huge part of making these work. Um, you know, letting the camera piece together what it can't necessarily see um, and kind of do guesswork maybe a little bit. I think that's going to be huge. And obviously there will be engineering advancements too to make them more effective, period. Yeah. I do think that you are at an interesting point with this because you you have an Apple versus Android divergence now because Apple needs all of these face ID sensors and they're working on shrinking those down and I'm sure they will. But yeah. Apple's not looking at this from just the camera perspective. They're like, we need the whole suite. And I think putting all of that under the display is probably eventually going to be possible. For the sure. projector dot matrix, I don't know. I'm guessing that can be made to work. But I think that what you'll see there is A, Apple will move very slowly on this. It'll probably take them quite a while um, to get there. And B, I think that you'll see too much compromise on the image quality from a marketing perspective and that this will actually have a pretty notable impact on consumer reception because selfies are like really important to people, especially yeah, in the market yeah. where these phones are most popular, which is Asia. So mm -hmm. I think that that is something that I would immediately have a lot of concerns about and concerns that would extend for probably a long time. Is it as good as a camera that doesn't have a screen on top of it? And as long as the answer to that question is no, I don't know that you're going to have people saying, I need this, even though it's not as good. I think that, you know, it's it's like so it's kind of to me like the situation Apple got into with MacBooks, where they're like, they're so thin. They're so thin. You yeah, won't believe yeah. how thin they are. And everybody's like, great. Can I have a better webcam? And Apple's like, doesn't exist. Um, doesn't fit. Won't fit. Can't make it. Can't do it. Um, yeah. And so I wouldn't want to end up in a similar situation with under screen cameras where it's like technology's gone as far as it can go, guys. We don't think we can make this any better. Meanwhile, you know, better and better camera sensors that are getting thinner and thinner and more and more capable. And I, I just seeing the trajectory of selfie cameras in Asia alone has made me be like, no, they care far more about the image quality and the capabilities of the sensor at this point. But you see, that is why I also think there's a lot of hope for this to be perfected very rapidly, right? Sure. Because the markets sure. that yeah. it's like the companies that are pushing this are in markets that are really needing this to yes. work, right? So I think, look, I'm I'm optimistic. I say give I'm giving it two years before it's on parity yeah, with that's fair. the most average, you know, normal cameras we have today. Sure. And um you know, it's as you said, it's an AI problem. Like it's a de-screening problem. You're you're basically it's the same as when you take a photo at the airport, you know, and the dirty windows get in your way, right? Yes. Like <laughs> you, you see the dirt, 
It's out of focus. This is the same, but with an array of pixels. Yes. And so there is all kinds of algorithms out there that exist to do this. It's just that, are they fast enough? Are they good enough? And more importantly, are you starting with an image that's bright enough? And that's yes. the other problem, yes. right? Yes, the light gathering issue is really the other one, yeah. Opening the aperture is going to help, and I think they can do that to some extent. Better sensors, but you know that's the other thing you can do now. Since there's no more restriction on the size of that screen on the display, that the area, true. you could make a bigger sensor back there. So then, there, then there's a Z-depth issue, right, of course. So like, let them fiddle. I think this is yeah. going to be good. I think it's coming. No, I think you're right. There is, there is lots of fiddling yet to do to either yeah. say this is or isn't going to work. So absolutely. But I think uh, Samsung will really be able to show what they can do, hopefully, if the rumors of the Z Fold having it so. on the display camera and, you know, is true. Just to, just to make it sound like I'm not being totally like negging out on this technology, like it's just like, you know, did you, you I'm pretty sure you were there at the, the first event, Lenovo. Novo put on after they bought Motorola for I yes. believe it was the Z lineup and they had that little demo area where they had the talk with the foldable devices um, the mm -hmm. prototypes and that was I think for almost all of the tech media um, especially for me the first time almost anybody got to hold and fold a screen like yeah. because they had that plastic really crappy looking like eight inch tablet that could also go into phone mode if you held it up to your ear and folded it backwards and i looked at that thing and i'm like this sucks <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and but at the same time i knew this is like cutting edge straight out of the laboratory literally not designed to be used outside technology it's gonna take time so yeah. with, with that in mind, yeah, I do think you're you're totally right that we're going to see a lot of advancements and that a lot of the really silly problems that we saw, especially with like ZTE's phone last year, we'll get over those. I, I'm sure we will. Yeah. So expect this on the display in a bunch of phones. Xiaomi Mi Mix 4 is one of them coming up on August 10th. You mark your calendars for those of you Xiaomi fans. Also, Honor is now obviously making their own phones on no longer under the Huawei umbrella. And so they're, they've announced a while back that they're going to use Snapdragon chips and do Android uh, with GMS. So that's exciting. You should keep an eye and an ear out for this company again. They've already launched a few phones with Snapdragon chips, but more importantly, the Magic 3, which is Magic is their flagship, is, is supposed to come on August 12th with a Snapdragon 888 Plus. Supposedly, it's the first phone with the 888 Plus chip, so keep an ear on that, keep an eye on that. The X20 is a kind of lower mid-range phone that will come along with it. Again, this is more like news items for those of you who are keeping track, who are not in the US and who want cool phones. Maybe we'll get Honor phones in the US. Do you think Honor should come back to the US? The brand doesn't sound weird. Maybe they should do something. It's interesting. I think that uh, Honor is going to be radioactive to US carriers for a good long while. Um, well, carriers, yeah, but they could do the unlocked thing. They could, you know, they could. I mean, absolutely. Like ZTE is doing with the Axon phones. Sure. I, I just finally got an Axon 30 Ultra the one with uh, four cameras in the back. Yep. And honestly, it's a great little phone other than the wireless charging that's missing. Hmm. That thing is great. And it's not supported, you know, by any carrier, but it's works on 5G, at least on T-Mobile in the US, just fine. Yeah. So that's cool. I, I think that Honor could do that. And I think that from a marketing and PR perspective, it would probably behoove them to do that. Whether that's worth it for them, I don't, I don't really know. To me, it's like Honor is probably in the most chaotic state like it's, it's ever mean. been in yeah, right yeah, now true and i i really wonder what their strategy is and what their goals are it could literally just be we have to get back to volume in china 
immediately. I think right now it's survival. Yeah. I think that's all there are. I yeah. mean, it's fine, right? And I think they will. They probably have inherited a whole bunch of Huawei tech that they can kind of rebrand. And, you know, I, I keep joking about this, but, you know, in the back of my mind, there's still that conspiracy, which is, is all BS, but that somehow Huawei strings are still attached to Honor. <laughs> and this was their way of getting out of this funk with the U.S. sanctions, right? And that, they, you know, it, and it's, I don't it's, believe you know, that. I don't think funny. so either. But but if it were, you know, wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. So the last thing we have, obviously, is uh, the Galaxy event, the unpacked is happening on the 11th and there are some I, I don't go by the leaks and rumors too much for these things because samsung leaks and rumors it's like apple leaks and rumors i right. could spend every podcast and cover everything but this is me interested in the sense that it might not be that these new fold and flip phones are cheaper than than they could be basically my gut tells me they should be cheaper this year that the only way you're going to democratize folding is by making them more rugged and cheaper and you know there's rumors that they might be more rugged and rumors that they might be cheaper but then we saw some leaks of some pricing at least in euros and yeah they're still pretty expensive so again u.s prices don't always translate it's like no. what do you take what's your take do you think strategically samsung should eat some of the profits here and just go for a lower price, at least on the flip? Or do you think that they're not going to give, you know, a crap and just do their own thing? And yeah, so number one, like we know. Make it expensive. European prices always include VAT. So there's that. Um, that always makes them look higher than they are. So I think that is one of the things to consider with all Euro leaks for phone prices. The other side of that could be that maybe Samsung doesn't see themselves selling as many in that market and maybe they're pricing to the expected volume. I don't know. So I, I do think you're right that the way to democratize it, those are the two factors. It's ruggedness and price. Um, you know, you can make it last longer and you can make it cheaper. And those are the two things that I think make most people have trepidation about foldables or that, you know, too expensive and I'm afraid I'm going to break it. Yeah. And that's kind of why I was going with this. I'm like... Right. This is kind of conflicting with what my gut tells me that they should be lowering the prices, whether they eat some of the profits or they actually are able through scale and manufacturing to lower the prices, because that would just make sense right now. If you really want to get the yeah. public on board on sexiness with this flip and productivity right. with the fold, you need to get them to the same price as yes. a Note or an S21, right? right. And I, I think that's, you're exactly right. And I think that Samsung, so I think initially they really did have a strategy of limiting it to, you know, super users, early adopters, people who were willing to say, I will throw $2,000 at a smartphone, which is a really good way to limit your audience to people who are true believers. Like you're yeah. just like, and that's good because that's getting you a lot of product feedback and also not harming your public image so much because you have a group of people who are probably more forgiving um, with their technology to begin with and probably more careful with it. So once you start to open it up, you need to be at the point where quote unquote regular people can use these and not the norm mobs yes, as I call them and and not encounter the kinds of experience breaking issues that um, you might run into on one of the earlier models I think based on last year's phones Samsung got there really fast like they iterated yeah. very quickly and I feel like with like last year's phones, I was like, no, you're you're mostly there. I feel like a regular person could be made to understand pretty easily what the limitations here are and how they should and shouldn't use it. A normal person can understand how to operate a motor vehicle. They can understand how to operate a folding phone. Um, and I think we're at the point where yep. it's not ex so expensive and not so fragile. 
that they can, you know, start doing that without running the risk of a major backfire in terms of marketing and PR if something goes wrong, because I think that's much less likely now. I think you wouldn't see like the, you know, abnormal failure rates anymore. Um, You wouldn't see as many dust ingress issues. You wouldn't see like the blotches or the lift spots as much. So I, I would hope this year is the year where they can start to lay the groundwork of getting into that wider audience. Now, that said, do I believe foldables? I'm going to ask myself a question, which I know is really polite. <laughs> do I believe foldables are the future of everyday mainstream smartphones? I am still not convinced at all. Okay. Well, let's end it on this, actually. Let's ask the audience to respond to me <laughs> and David on Twitter and give us their feelings on what they think of folding phones. I'm a little more optimistic, to be frank. David, tell us where my listeners can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter. I am back on Twitter. I did take a little break, but I am back from my Twitter vacation. Uh, It's RDRV3. And uh, yeah, follow me there. And, you know, obviously I'm the editor-in-chief at androidplace.com. And uh, you can find me lurking. Not really. You can't actually find me there because I'm not really on the website per se. So you do have to find me on Twitter, actually. You can yell at me there, though. I won't promise to respond. There you go, folks. (laughs) And you know where to find me on Twitter. I'm at Tankrel. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. That's both Twitter and Instagram. That's like the comic book character Tankrel without the vowels. Pretty easy to remember. So if you want to discuss things with me and David, find us on Twitter. If you want to see pretty pictures of phones, pretty pictures taken with phones and stuff like that, look for my Instagram. And uh, there are two channels related to this podcast. YouTube.com slash mobile tech podcast is the main channel. Has unboxing videos, some hands-on, some reviews. It's basically on-topic visuals that go alongside the podcast. And then there is YouTube.com slash mobile tech more. That's kind of a new channel my producer and I are trying out. It's all the peripheral stuff, travel tech, car tech, you know, home automation, all that stuff. We're going to try to ramp that up a little bit as time time goes by so please subscribe to that we're trying to get to the thousand subscriber magic monetization point we'd appreciate it the podcast as you know lives at mobiletechpodcast.com that's where you can subscribe to the rss feed or you can go to google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, pocket cast spotify everywhere good podcasts can be found and subscribe so please consider that please consider the youtube channels tell your friends all that good stuff Also, if your podcast app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. We now have a Patreon. So if you want to support the show, check it out. Patreon.com slash Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. A couple of interesting things there. There's a Discord channel you can join on one of the tiers, but also you can watch this podcast as a video unedited right the same day it's recorded as a, an exclusive perk of a patron. So if you want to join Patreon, yeah, it's one of the things you can do. I don't have anybody to thank this week for joining, but I want to thank all my previous patrons for being on board and helping me out. And maybe you should uh, consider it yourself. If you want to see this video, join the Discord, etc. consider the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. And if you want to donate another way, there is a PayPal button in the show notes. So consider clicking on that and helping us out that way. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, MediaTek. MediaTek is the world leader for Wi-Fi technology, which is used widely in global products, including mobile devices, PCs, digital TVs, routers, and hotspots. Its tightly integrated home networking and broadband Wi-Fi products are renowned for their high performance and reliability, rich set of features, and low power consumption. 
And so, yeah, I want to thank MediaTek once again. And I want to thank you, David, for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's always good to be on. And I, I hope to be on again soon. Of course, we'll make sure that happens at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.